Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is March 5th, 2018, and this is episode 227. My name is Jake English. And I'm Scott Magnus. And on today's show, we will chat with Dan Zimborski of ESPN. And we're going to shed, Jake, but not our clothes, but our pessimism, and we're going to let a little sunshine into this dark podcast of ours. But before that, it's time that we lubricate the show. That's right. It's time. For the drink of the week. Scott Magnus, what are you drinking? I am doing a Heavy Seas Peg Leg Imperial Stout. And how is it? Uh, scrumptious. Mm. Uh, this week for the drink of the week, I am coming to you live from the land of pleasant living. Uh, it's National Bohemian. Oh boy, what a beer. Oh boy, what a beer. You know, I actually went out with my boss, uh, who's from New Jersey, and uh, we sat down at the bar, and uh, we were getting drinks, and he says... I don't think I've ever heard of that, oh boy, what a beer brand before. And I'm like, that's Natty Bow. And he's like, what does it taste like? And I was like, have you ever tasted Paps? And he's like, I'm not familiar with that beer either. I was just like, oh, uh, are you familiar, familiar with Swill? And he's just like, yeah, I'm familiar with Swill. And I was like, it's pretty much that. And he's like, all right, are you going to order a glass? And I was like, yes, I am. And then proceeded to go order a glass, drink it all down. And he took a little sip and he's just like, yeah, I can see what you were saying before. I'll get six Schlitz. Uh, if you'd like to see what we are drinking throughout the week, check us out on Untapped. I'm at Jake E4025. I'm at MAGN8606. And with that, let's go ahead and stretch on out. It's time for a checkup in the medical wing. It's time for a checkup. I didn't realize this was a singing podcast. Time for your checkup. Derek Arnold Waltz's singing podcast. It's only going to tickle a little, Jake. So uh, let's go through this. Zach Burton, still injured. Austin Hayes, though, I think is one big story that needs to be covered. Um, he's still dealing with the shoulder injury. There basically was an indication that he had a shot. Um, it was kind of put out there originally um, by Rock that it was going to be PCP. But then he pulled the tweet and actually said that later on it was a cortisone shot. Uh, he's swinging a bat, but he's still not clear to throw. Uh, this basically indicates that there's no chance he's starting with the team, correct? Uh, I don't know. I mean, how big a deal is it if he doesn't get any? So- yeah. 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 I mean, the question is, how quickly do you want to bring him back? How important is it to have him recover fully versus needing to depend on him? Uh, I think that particularly when you've got guys like um, Santander that need to make the club and a guy like Colby Rasmus, uh, this is a nice convenient excuse not to have to even worry about having Hayes in the discussion. And really, I mean, tick-tock, we're down to, what, 24, 23 days, something like that? Sure. Uh, so, yeah, I, I agree with you. Okay. And then the other big news that came out this weekend was Chris Davis having a flexor mass strain. Um, he was sent for an MRI, um, came back, Orioles indicated that everything was clean, said he'd be back in three to five days. Jake? I ask you this, are you are you buying this and are do you actually think that everything is actually clean in there? Well, I mean, I have no reason to doubt the the medicals that have been announced by the Orioles, but just let me ask you this. Sure. Wouldn't it just be the Orioles luck to have this be a lingering problem all year? Oh, absolutely. I I think that if it was something though, we would immediately heard uh, we're going to get a plate of rich plasma injection in there and we're going to see how things progress for the next two weeks and then we'll come back and reassess it. 
the fact that the Orioles basically said, eh, he'll be back out here in three to five days. I do think that maybe they dodged a bullet. Um, I will say that um, the Orioles getting hit with two position players, um, having potentially a Tommy Johns within a period of five years um, would have been pretty impressive from a, from a luck standpoint. I'm just disappointed because it probably means we'll never see him pitch again. Mm. And, you know, after he signed that huge contract, they were like, we can never allow him to pitch again. And then after they saw him play the on that contract, I thought to myself, yeah, maybe they'll let him do it again. And then it's just sadness, just sadness. The last injury we want to talk about is Craig Drenchy with a hamstring. He said he should be cleared to play on Tuesday. Um, big deal. So what? Who cares? Or is this something that we should be watching? No. Minor league depth doesn't matter any more than that. Okay. Uh, anything else that we missed on the, this week in the medical wing? Nope. Just my heart breaking one day at a time. All right. Well, let's go to 280 characters or less this week on the Twitters. I'd like to start out with a tweet from Bob Nightingale. This uh, is a tweet, of course, at B Nightingale. You would. Boston beat writer. Jake's favorite town. Ichiro Suzuki is getting close to finalizing one year major league deal with the hashtag Mariners. Look, that's great. It's great for the Mariners to to bring back Ichiro Suzuki. It's a good place for him to probably finish his career. Uh, But look, if the Orioles were not going to get good in the offseason, I wanted them to get entertaining. And what could be more entertaining than bringing Ichiro Suzuki to play the outfield sometimes when the other guys we have that are sometimes going to be there weren't playing? It's just disappointing. So we'll have to analyze the impact with this next week. But this tweet comes from Camden Depot at Camden Depot. This is an unreported tidbit that happened during the winter meetings is now public. But one of the Orioles' most important analysts, Kevin Tannenbaum, left the club in December to join the Indians. Um, I remember Kevin putting out a kind of a, a meeting where he basically brought in a lot of local college students and local interns um, to basically look at um, ways that metrics could be better applied in terms of a small case scenario with the Orioles. Um, kind of did as a contest slash program. It was kind of like a like a mathathon basically, but in this case it was a sabermetricsthon. Um, so I find it's interesting that Kevin is leaving, especially for how small the analytics department is, um, and going to the Indians being you know one of the heavier teams in terms of data science. Um, it's interesting that um, the Orioles lost potentially a strength to an even better team is the best way to describe it. Oh, actually, we should be used to that by now. Oh, oh. you're making me sad. Yeah. All right. Next, I want to go to a tweet from Hardball Talk at Hardball Talk. And this is in the hashtag the Nick Marcakis watch. Nick Marcakis threatened to kick Braves executive butt. And there's an article which says that basically this is just this is a this is an Orioles nugget within a nugget. After uh, an appearance of bringing in Jim Johnson, which didn't go well, that the <laughs> that the Braves executive John Hart dressed down the Braves manager loudly in his office. And hearing it, Nick Markakis sent a message to uh, John Hart through uh, the appropriate chains, I suppose, I guess an inter-office memo, saying that in so many words, if it ever happened again, he'd kick his expletive. Should have followed those TPS reports. Not a good look for the uh, Braves, nor for Nick Markakis. A little bit of drama. And we think we've got drama in the front office. Absolutely. Jake, you know how I've been a little harsh in the past about AJ's uh, social media usage in the past? Well, I I can't wait um, if this is a trend with Simply AJ's question of the week. So Adam Jones asked the following question from at SimplyAJ10. What's your 40 time? My fast was a 4.5 about 10 years ago. Answer the question. All right. So you want me to answer the question? Fine. Sure. You, you know what an athlete I am. Uh-huh. And by that, I mean that carrying my trumpet on the football field was as close as I ever got to a sporting event. Um, what, about, what about a French horn? Did that too. Okay. Marching in time across 40 yards probably took a good 
you know, 50 to 60 seconds, keeping the time, carrying the instrument. So I would, I would give it, you know, like a good 55.6. I'm going to go with DNF over here. Did not finish. So I got disqualified, basically. Uh, some South Korean basically came and wiped me out of my legs. So <laughs> He's saying that we're not qualified to talk about baseball, isn't he? Uh, I believe so. All right, let's go to a tweet from your Baltimore Orioles at Orioles. Last week, the Orioles announced a multidimensional partnership. First of all, I'm not sure which dimension is the most impressive here. Uh, a multidimensional partnership with the at Navy Athletics slash at Naval Academy, including an Army-Navy baseball doubleheader hosted at Oriole Park on 325. More info and tickets available at link. I think that's really cool. The Orioles have partnered with the Navy. They're going to play some exhibition games in Annapolis on their way back up from from uh, uh, Sarasota uh, next year and in the following years. This uh, doubleheader at Camden Yards on the 25th, really cool. Army-Navy game, okay? The baseball, obviously, the baseball is not going to be incredibly high quality. Sure. But it's 10 bucks, lower admission, general, or lower level general admission, five, $5 parking. So for, you know... 15 bucks, you can go and watch six plus hours of baseball. The concessions go to, to, uh, charity. Uh, it's a really cool thing. I think this would be a really nice warm up to opening day. Yep. But Jake, listen, if I've learned anything from Baltimore sports commentary, one shouldn't mix politics with sports. They should be separate incidents. Of course. Yes. Of course. But honestly, I think this is a great thing. I think this is actually not getting the publicity that it needs to do. Um, I think it's great that the Orioles are working with the uh, Naval Academy to do this. Great, great work. Next, I want to look at a tweet from MLB Network Radio on Sirius XM. Um, this tweet came out. It's got some sound. It's not important. It's a clip from uh, their, their morning show with Steve Phillips talking about how the Orioles think uh, the Orioles should definitely get Mike Moustakis. Scott, do the Orioles need Mike Moustakis? Hmm. Not really is the best way to describe it. Not can, really. Can Mike Moustakis pitch? No. Okay. At least not very well. Okay. I, I Unless he can pitch, I'm not really interested. All right. That's fine. But let me ask you this question. Uh, here's another tweet. Okay, but he, can he pitch? And this comes from MLB Daily Dish. It says, the Orioles aren't done hunting for free agent bargains, and Neil Walker may be their next target. Can he pitch? Not very well. Again, you're looking at... Second baseman and third baseman that are definitely probably the, the two top remaining positional um, free agents out there. But you look at the depth charts and you say, this is not the area the Orioles need to address at this time. Uh, Tim Beckham does not need to go to the super utility role and or the bench. What you need to be doing is filling in a pitcher or you need to be filling out an outfield spot. And neither one of these scream great outfielder and or pitcher. Plus, we already got all the infield depth we need when we signed the great Pedro Alvarez. Absolutely. Or Danny Valencia. Well, again, um, we need to put some perspective on this as an Orioles fandom in terms of how bad things can actually get. You know what? Actually, let's take a break. Let's go into our next interview, and let's talk to a former Orioles fan uh, and get some of his opinion on the uh, analytics of Orioles baseball going into 2018. Jake, the Baltimore Orioles do a lot of dumb things. They've done enough in the past that it's forced us to want to start a podcast to talk about all those dumb things. But eventually, the depressive nature of the team catches up to even the most diehard fans. We welcome to the program Dan Zabrowski, ESPN baseball analyst, whom 
After hearing the news that the Orioles not willing to participate in the bidding process for Shohei Atani due to it not fitting with their philosophically uh, philosophical minds, renounced his 35-plus years of fandom until a change of ownership or direction occurred. We invited him onto the show to see if that dec- decree still stood and to pick at the scab of uh, his Orioles' former fandom uh, through his Zips model that is constantly posted at Fangraphs. So, Dan, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. How's it going? It's um, miserable is the best way to describe it. It's March in Birdland. Of course it's miserable. <laughs> so... so is it still really windy there? Because I'm in Ohio now, so we didn't actually get all this wind. Uh, Chris right. Davis is swinging a bat, so yes, it is windy. So, um, oh, well, okay. so let me ask you this question. Um, does the decree <laughs> still hold, I guess? You, you announced in December saying that you were not going to actively root for the Orioles um, until that change of ownership or direction change. Are, are you still not rooting for the team known as the Baltimore Orioles? And if so, have you picked up another team uh, to root for in this 2018 season? Well, I I don't have to pick up a new team or anything. That would be a little extreme. Uh, I mean, I cover baseball for a living, so I'd be lying if I said that doing that didn't actually change my relationship with teams differently to start with. Uh, But it's it's really hard to just be um, have an emotional commitment to the Orioles right now. It's like if you had a favorite restaurant that you've that you've gone to for thirty years, and they start putting ground up glass in the food. At some point, you're going to say, you know. Until you guys stop feeding me ground up glass, I don't think it's unreasonable that I'm not a that I kind of not come to your restaurant anymore. That's pretty much what happened uh, with Ground but, Round back in the day, I think. So <laughs> I like that in your scenario, you went to the restaurant that gave you ground glass more than once. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, things happen one time. You just you got to make sure that it's a it's a pattern of behavior. Glass me once, it, shame on you. <laughs> anyone could feed someone ground glass at some point. It, it happens to the best of us. But if they do it repeatedly, then you kind of think, hey, maybe this isn't the best place to eat. So don't go to Dan, Dan Zabrowski's kitchen is what I'm hearing, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so the Orioles are once again entering into a season uh, where they are following the philosophy, well, if everything goes right, we'll have a chance. Um, so, Dan, where does it all fall apart this year for the Baltimore Orioles? Well, I don't think it would be a surprise that the starting pitching is not very good or very deep. Uh, w- the problem is that even if you look at the rotation on paper and say, oh, if everything works right, we'll get, you know, 30 starts from Andrew Kashner and 30 starts Yay. from Chris Tillman. Yay. And... Yeah. <sighs> Sigh. Yeah. It's just it's just sad and depressing. I mean, you look at what the Orioles did to basically fill a uh, a massive gap um, in, in their depth, and they basically said, "Let's go ahead and fill that depth with uh, Andrew Kashner and Chris Tillman." It, it pretty much is the exact and, opposite of what you would want to do. And, and Tillman's not bad in himself. He's worth you know a, a, a low risk gamble. They're not investing much, but Kashner just has this Giovanni Gallardo. I wouldn't say stink on him, but it, it, it's, it's the parallels are scary. It's like okay. First take a formerly a formerly touted prospect, okay. Have him be in the Rangers, yeah. Have him lose forty percent of his strikeout rate, yeah. Have him have a uh, have peripherals way above his ERA, yep. It's it's like the whole check mark. It's 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 Gallardo part deux. Maybe it'll work this time. But I can tell you nobody in baseball was that interested in Andrew Kastner. I mean, we're we're talking in a league where where Batters are striking out more than eight times a game, and you have uh, a pitcher that struck out fewer than five batters a game in in uh, 2017. Uh, 
it's it's almost like Jeff Ballardian, if to to bring back a memory of of Jeff Ballard's '89 season, where he won 18 games, struck out 60 guys. Uh, but nobody was after Kashner. They give they give him an a guarantee, a multi year contract. I'd rather have Wade Miley back. I don't really want Wade Miley back. You know, I said the same thing actually when they signed Kashner. As I said, I think Miley actually may have a better season um, than an Andrew Kashner. I mean, y- you look at what the Orioles have done in the past from a starting pitching standpoint, and you know they've gone out there and gone for players that could potentially have a higher upside. And there's nothing that I see from an Andrew Kashner that makes you think he's going to have a breakout performance. Um, in-, in terms of the Orioles' depth charts, is there are specific players or players that have a chance to have those breakout performances and outperform their projections? Well, really, uh, a lot of it looks like Tanner Scott, who's obviously not going to go north with the team. uh, But he's really the only high upside arm in the system that's likely to be in the majors very quickly. Uh, I mean, you can can talk about Hunter Harvey eventually, but that's that's another year away probably uh, at a minimum. So the answer to this uh, is no, basically. Well, no, Tanner Scott. So <laughs> it's something. Tanner Scott's fascinating because he's he's a pitcher you can see the upside in because I mean he can blow you know batters away and that's a good skill to have. Uh, but he also doesn't quite have an idea of where it's going. I mean, Daniel Cabrera didn't work out, right. But he could have worked out. It wasn't it wasn't faded from the stars that the Orioles would want Cabrera to dial back on the fastball and then. All of a sudden, he has a slower fastball and can't hit the plate. Um, well, I, I, I'm bringing up old grudges. Let, let but, me uh, ask. Let me ask you this. Uh, basically, this question goes to: Could the Orioles have been fixed? Uh, you know, we're saying that the the acquisitions of Kashner and of Tillman were not enough to fix the Orioles. So, let me ask you this: First, as a as a non fan, as a former fan, um, and then second, <laughs> as a as a professional baseball analyst, what would you have done differently in the off season to fix the Orioles? Well, the the one question is: Can they be fixed in the short term with the financial parameters? Obviously, you say, "Hey, go sign you Darvish," but. I don't think I could convince the ownership. I could not convince the Peter to give me $130 million to sign you uh, Darvish. So that, that creates a problem uh, in which the Orioles were one of these teams that kind of went in the offseason without really a good path to contending. They really needed significant pitching upgrades, but they didn't have the prospects to trade for a significant pitching upgrade, someone who you can put as a number two guy in the rotation, and they don't have the money or the willingness to do so. So... To an extent, what happened this offseason was almost faded by, by simply the parameters that the team places upon themselves. Uh, there was never a super bargain free agent pitcher out there that could be a number two guy of, of the caliber that the Orioles need. And they need multiple pitchers like that. Like you say, oh, let's add Alex Cobb. Yeah, they could have done that. But they'd still need another pitcher. That's, that's how messed up the rotation is. Uh, and the thing with pitchers is, you never go in with your plan A, but the Orioles' plan A isn't very good. It, it, it's, it's Bundy and Gosman, and then, you know, pray for a lot of rain. Wind. Um, pray for wind. That doesn't rhyme, though. But we'll, we'll, get the, next time we have you on the show, we'll expect it in a haiku format, okay? Okay. I, oh, I used to. Uh, <laughs> uh, there was uh, back uh, about, I guess, 20 years ago now, uh, in the Pittsburgh Pirates Usenet News Group. There was someone who really hated Aramis Ramirez, and he thought that Ed Sprague should get the third base job and that Aramis Ramirez would 
never amount to anything, that the, that the Pirates should trade him at the first opportunity because they had Sprague. Uh, so he'd get really nasty, so I'd write mean haiku to him. These are things that you wasted on your youth, basically. Yeah, but it worked <laughs> out because now I write baseball professionally, right. and I can pretend that that led to... And, and hey, uh, haiku whenever you want. Yeah, I mean, it's 575. It's It's not... I know technically it has to be like a nature. Yeah, it's like the uh, Oreos ERA, basically. Uh, there's, another, there's another term when it's not nature, but I don't remember it right it's now. It's called so Senryu. Yeah, I wish I had. I would have actually found some of the haiku. Some of them were kind of mean, but but that's okay. Well, you talked about the aspect of kind of working inside of a um, within a terrible sandbox and having to deal with the Peter. So I, I guess one question I have is, you know, you've got the Orioles analytic department that's kind of run by Sarah Gales, and she's been there since 2011. Um, you know, what's your opinion of the Orioles analytical department, and what kind of you know how do you think they've done over the past few years in relation to working with the Peter and uh, Dan Duquette? Well, that's always a tricky question because uh, the the analytical staff, the, the limited amount that they have, I'm not as I'm not as familiar with them personally as I am with some other teams. It, uh, the Orioles aren't an organization that I, I, I really talk to all that much. Uh, I know that's kind of a cop out answer, but I really couldn't tell you how much the analytical team is 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 contributing. Uh, and really. Whatever they're doing, it doesn't seem that the team's using it all that well. Right. Because that that you can you can give teams the best advice in the world, but if they're not going to use it, it's it's just wasted. Well, that's that's interesting because I guess my question to you is: Do you have a sense of which teams are putting more stock in the analytical side of the house, and and which team are doing the better listening? Which teams are not, and then where in that spectrum the Orioles fall? Well, the Indians are probably the best team. Uh, Houston and the Cubs are up there, but the Indians are very uh, analytical. Uh, Keith Wilner, uh, formerly from Baseball Perspectives, he's another old school guy from Usenet. Yeah, I mean, he travels with the team because they like to have one of those guys around them at all times to kind of tackle problems that come up. Uh, so the, the Indians are very involved. The Twins and the Diamondbacks have made great strides towards getting there. Uh, the Dodgers, of course, are all in. Uh, the Giants are, are somewhat in there. I mean, really right now, it's the team, you can talk about teams that aren't all in on analytics more than you talk about teams that are, because it's, it's sabermetrics pretty much won, so to speak. Uh, the, the, the battle of sabermetric versus conventional wisdom was kind of won by the analytics guys, and they pretty much fill most front offices. It's only a few that don't really put much emphasis on it. The Marlins don't, uh, the Rockies don't. Uh, the Royals don't, but even those teams do have people employed in that capacity. It's just that uh, ownership and the front office doesn't really use that kind of information as well as they could. Spoiler alert, science won over sorcery. Amazing. Science. <laughs> so let me uh, let me ask you, moving from the club, you know, dragging the clubs into the uh, scientific age to uh, dragging the, the fans, um, in the last couple of years, you've seen things like exit velocity and launch angle become talking points within the game, uh, you know, in the broadcast. We have Jim Palmer here in Baltimore talking about them during the Masson broadcast. What do you think is going to be the next uh, buzzword to come out of the sabermetric community that makes it into the mainstream enough to be, you know, spoken about and broadcast and part of the, the game's, you know, just unique language among all fans? I still think that the holy grail out there for a lot of teams is to figure out pitching injuries. Uh, and that's something that, pe- that nobody's really figured out yet. Everybody has a theory on 
on you know you had to talk about inverted W's and 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 different uh, windups, etc. And I don't think we have that information yet. But I think that's where the next big advantage for a team could be if they can figure out how to reduce picture injuries, if they can figure out how to predict who will be injured and who won't be, because nobody can really do that yet. And once a team does that, then whatever form that the lingo takes, that will go mainstream pretty quickly because uh, it's hard to keep a good idea secret. It does not matter how many non-disclosure agreements uh, you sign, a, a good secret will get out eventually. Uh, there's too much churn of analytics guys in baseball and personnel for every for a secret to last forever. But I think that's something to look forward to. I don't know if we can do it, but if it happens, say next ten years, that could be really big. It could be altering the whole analytics landscape. Whatever measurement that they come up with for that, I think the unit of measurement needs to be Mets draft. Like <laughs> that player is at five Mets draft. All right, now, or if it's like a wearable technology, maybe we just call it zippers. <laughs> oh wait that's already patent pending so all right now you host uh chats over on fan graphs correct yes i do uh all right uh usually on monday sometimes i can't uh, uh my main employer wants me to be working on things so i can't always go over there but i'm allowed you know i'm i'm allowed some flexibility to do things with fan graphs well that's excellent uh pull the curtain a little bit uh about a pull the curtain back a little bit for me. Uh, what is the best part about that? And then what are the things that just make you roll your eyes terribly that go on during those chats? Uh, well, sometimes when they kind of get memes and they kind of tease me with lots of questions, that's, I don't know if that's the best thing or the worst thing, maybe both. Uh, for instance, they know that I never liked a Nick Markakis contract with, with the Braves. I, I didn't think it was a smart move for the Braves. And so I get, I get lots of random questions about Nick Markakis every week that are, are generally nonsensical. Uh, they call me Dave a lot because sometimes people call me Dave because it, it's weird that people get the last name right, but then call me Dave. It's like Dan's the easy part. Uh, so, so that, that could do it. Um, um, that's, that's probably the worst, but the fun is it's just fun interacting. I love events where I can interact with readers, uh, interact with other baseball fans. I love when I can do panels and such. I uh, had a fun one last year uh, with the Staten Island Yankees. Was it, and that was 2016, but that was one of my favorite ones. Uh, we had a panel. It was uh, me and, and Carson Sestouli, my arch nemesis, uh, and uh, Jonah Carey, Jay Jaffe, Emma Spann, Meg Rowley, uh, Dave Cameron. Uh, and, and, and that was fun. They had a room set aside for us for fans to come, and they had a, a sabermetric picnic so that we could meet and greet. And that, that was a lot of fun. And those kinds of things, are it's, it's the coolest part of the job. I mean, except the part where you get paid, but it's it's cool in itself. <laughs> the, the paycheck doesn't hurt. Yeah, no yeah, matter money what is industry good. you're in, money can be exchanged for goods and services. I think I learned that in second grade social studies. That works out really well. Yeah, it's it's you, you, it's one of those lessons you want to learn for life. Yes. All right, Dan. Now there's there's no meter to this. There's no five seven five. There there are no requirements. Okay, but I'm going to need you to put your thinking cap on. In five words or fewer, please summarize the upcoming 2018 Orioles season. Hmm. Without profanity. I'm thinking, well, that's the hard part. You see, I keep getting like two or three words in it, and there's a giant F-bomb in there. Um, if you could just make a noise, we'd even just take that. that can't, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to do, I'm trying to do five. I keep doing more than five. Um, P, uh, you see now, now I'm now I'm see now now I'm frozen and I have writer's block 
2019 will come. Uh, eventually, is one word. <laughs> Dan, now we know that you can count to five. This is the best. <laughs> yeah, this I can is, count to five. Work. I just can't write exactly five words. Uh, you know, your, that, that, that's what... your full-time employer is probably also glad about that. <laughs> All right. oh, yeah, if I sent in like a five-word article, they'd be a little annoyed with me. A little annoyed. Well, Dan, we appreciate you coming on Bird's Eye View and kind of giving us a synopsis of uh, what your uh, deep expectations are for the Baltimore Orioles going into the 2018 <laughs> season. Tell tell us about well, your work online. Where can we find you, and how can we follow you? Well, you can find my work at ESPN.com. Uh, we just published our future power rankings. Uh, the Orioles were 29th. That sounds about right. But not 30th. Uh, I'm, I'm working on a piece talking about the Phillies and Braves and the, ne- the next two teams that I see kind of turning the corner of rebuilding and becoming relevant again. And they're both interesting in their own ways. Uh, the Braves have the better farm system, but the Phillies have, have they don't have the same they don't level of prospects as the Braves do, but they have the ability to spend money that the Braves not, might not necessarily be able to do. Uh, with their Comcast deal, which is tw- with $5 billion over 25 years, once you consider the equity they get, they could literally sign Manny Machado and Bryce Harper and still only have a payroll around $150 million uh, in, in 2019. So it's, it's, it's an interesting franchise, and I think the NL East, the top of that division, will be pretty cool uh, once, once we kind of had that shift where the Braves and Phillies step forward and the Nationals start to take a step back. Or once the Nationals get their own TV deal. We'll, we'll see if that ever happens. Oh, yeah. Well, that'll be a three-way, and that'll be even better. Three-ways are always better. According to Dan Zembrowski. Oh, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Dan. That's also fewer than five words, by the way, if you ever need that. Thanks so much for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Folks, check Dan's work out on ESPN and on Fangrass. Dan, thanks so much. Always fun, guys. And after me, any mopey stuff you say will sound optimistic by comparison. Well, that's a good segue into our next topic. Scott, it's been a weird off season, and uh, you know we we have to talk about the things that are going on in the off season. And occasionally, speaking the truth can be misinterpreted. Uh, we've been called many things in the past five years of doing this show, but lately, folks have called us negative. Hmm. I mean, we were basically subtweeted in a review of the great uh, Locked On Orioles podcast by our friend Justin McGuire uh, for being negative and unprofessional and frankly i i can't take criticism like that scott so i think that you and i need to do a serious attitude adjustment right now and uh if i can just take off these glasses and put on a pair of my orange colored glasses go ahead and take a sip of this uh fine uh 2012 vintage orange Kool-Aid. Um, i'm going to go ahead and take a big sip and we're going to get started with this i think we owe it to ourselves scott more than we owe it to the listeners. I think we truly owe it to ourselves to be more positive about this team. So we have collected a few topics here. And, Scott, no matter how bad sure. these things sound, no matter how the news in reality might affect us, I want nothing but positive responses. I want you to find within yourself the deepest realm of soul in which a tiny 
Jim Hunter lives. Gotcha. So this uh, segment is brought to you by Catholic Charities of Maryland. Please go out and contribute and help your community. Thank you very much. All right. Here's the first one, uh, and I'm just going to lay it out here. This is how it's going to work. Okay. All right. We are using the words Chris Davis and Flexor Mass in the same sentence. Okay. That could, that could sound bad. It could that, sound bad. It could sound ominous. But Scott, turn that frown upside down, my friend, because you're not looking at this right. This is an opportunity. Ooh. And the Orioles, of course, can out opportunity any other team. What's this an opportunity for? This is more opportunity for Mark Trumbo to play first base. And as everyone knows, Mark Trumbo does better at the plate when he is playing in the field. So we're going to take that that albatross of a contract of Chris Davis's, and we're going to be able to put that far aside, as far aside as possible, and we're going to have vintage Mark Trumbo hitting the dingers and playing the first base. Rick, I like what you're throwing down here. Uh, so I've noticed recently that Chris Tillman is throwing from a new release point. Um, and as a positive of this, I think we say, hey, that new release point has to be better than it was last year. And that should help him have a better secondary pitch, especially with his curveball, which should lead to a drastic reduction in his ERA going into the 2018 season. I love the way you think, Scott. I love it. Let me uh, Let me lay this on you. Sure. Tim Beckham has been forced to move to third base, a position he has only played six major league games at that position. Yeah, but he played it a lot of times for beer softball. So that could, oh, wait, we went too quickly to the positive. Well, my bad. Like, right, right. right my Just bad. Hold on. Hold okay. on. That may sound like a bad thing. Right. Right. But here are some things that we're not considering. First and foremost, this may mean that the Orioles defense may be improved with the uh, defensive range over what we may have seen with the uh, the left side of the infield with Machado and a Hardy combination. A Machado-Beckham combination between short and, and, and third may be vastly improved. But beyond this, Scott, Beckham is merely making himself more flexible, more uh, uh, a complete player as we may have to depend upon him as a shortstop after certain moves are made later in the year. You're absolutely right. I mean, you think about it, and it's that food-friendly competition that you're going to see between Beckham and Machado to say, who can get that ball? Where back in the day, Hardy would have been like, Manny, you got it. Go ahead and take it. This is great. I mean, this is exactly what's going to spur on uh, Manny Machado to say, you know what? I need that healthy competition. I'm willing to go back to the Baltimore. Wait, I went too far. My bad. Um this is my next point. That's, you know, something that's been out there. The Orioles are forecast to hit the second most home runs in Major League Baseball. As positive, Jake, chicks dig the long ball. Who else could be ahead of us? Who is projected to hit more home runs than the Orioles? Doesn't matter. Second is good enough. There is no other team. You know right. what? Our second most home runs are going to be the best. It's second be most the best. Home runs. It's going to be good enough for what we need to accomplish. All right. Here, here's another opportunity, Scott. Okay. Opportunities. The Orioles remain open to signing a starting pitcher. Great. We've talked about this, and this is definitely a need for the team. And as a positive, Abado Jimenez is still available. Absolutely. And Scott, I don't want to be disappointed about who we might not get. I want to embrace who we might get. I want someone to say, yes, we can remember those great games that Abado Jimenez pitched for us. Because they were great games. Absolutely. I was present for one of them, which he was thrown out in the second inning in Boston. But... There were really great games in addition to the really awful ones. And then, you know, you've got the great news this week where the Orioles have gone out 
and re-signed Danny Valencia, returning him to the team. And they've even discussed going out and potentially getting Mark Reynolds as an option to return to the team in order to get greater depth. The thing is that we don't consider is how much Buck likes his guys. It's really all about the whole situation. It doesn't so much matter about the talent that is out there in the field. What really matters is clubhouse presence. Absolutely. And the Orioles have the opportunity to bring a lot of clubhouse presence into that clubhouse. And Scott, I really think that we need to do more of this. I think that we need to create as much positive energy as possible because reality is not helping us. so positive now you know i really i've got a grin on my face but jake there was something positive that happened tonight uh when we came into bird's eye view studio or sd studios and cowardkin statue game is on masson right now and i gotta say i was sitting down here writing up show notes and i'm turning the game on and watching it and a, a giant smile came across my entire face and i think back to myself of yeah, we all talk about, you know, ALDS game number two with Dumb and Young, but the Cal Ripken statue game is that moment where you finally said, this season is going to be special. It's not going to fall flat on its face. You knew it was basically going to happen at that point. No matter what transpired, you said, this is, we're going to get somewhere and it's going to be, you know, a season that we're always going to remember. And, you know, you look at the ups and downs of that game with the Orioles getting out to a massive lead and losing it. And I know you and I sat right there and we said, man, you know, is this really going to be the way it's going to be where the Yankees are going to come back once again and shatter our dreams? And Adam Jones coming up to the plate and basically putting the Orioles back ahead. And as soon as Adam Jones crushed that ball into the left field stance, you said, this is going to be a little bit different. And that's what Orioles baseball is all about, is just experiencing that little sense of magic, that little sense of frustration and heartache. But it's really special once that frustration and heartache happens, when the team comes back and basically proves that they have the ability to come back and win these games. And it's not going to happen that often going forward. But that doesn't mean that it won't happen every once in a while for the team. And it's important for us as fans, as much as we are negative and depressed about the end result of the season, is to really experience the game on and game out aspect of really having a good time and having experiencing the fun when it happens, even very small, isolated samples during the 2018 season. I have been so cruel to Masson, but I have to point out that it is a really good idea for them to play this kind of stuff right before the beginning of the season. They like, should just play this on loop. Let's be honest. <laughs> like, if you put this on loop, I guarantee Masson ratings would be like 20% higher during the offseason. I will totally sit down and watch the end of the Cal Ripken statue game every time it's on. I don't know... I can't think of a single instance where I wouldn't be like, up, oh, it's the seventh inning. Yeah, I could sit here for the next half an hour and wait till the eighth inning comes around. I mean, sure, it would be very easy for me to pull up on my phone. But again, you don't get the art and the drama behind it and seeing it that you see in a highlight. This is the whole aspect of how to eventually get to this point. How the heck is Manny Machado batting eighth in this lineup? <laughs> and then following him is Robert Andino. I mean, none of this makes sense. You're looking at the line of construction. You're just like, this is so weird. But again, these are the kind of moments that you look back on and you say, those are special times and you learn and you love it. And those special times will happen 
during the 2019 or 2018 season, they just won't happen to the degree that they happen as much as during the 2012 season and 2014 season. Scott, this hopefulness thing. I mean, is this a, a holdover from the Kool-Aid segment? I think so. I think whatever was in that Kool-Aid, that might have been spiked. You might want to go back to the heavy seas. Yeah, exactly. And that is our show. Remember that you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is available for download and whatever it is that gets your podcast. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and many others. And please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback and encourages other people to listen for the first time. We love meeting new people and talking Orioles baseball with other diehard fans and former fans. Email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat, but the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at BirdseyeViewBAL. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I bid you all a fond adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. And let's go O's. This is really a great game. It's the best. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.